glad that you are here. Uh, on the way in, you were handed the notes. They're what Joanna was referring to on the back side. It's got like upcoming events, ways for community. The front side uh, is the message. You will need a pen or a pencil. We also have them online, uh, version. So if you uh, want to do it that way, that's fine too. And if you learn best by just listening, uh, that's great, whichever way uh, works for you. Before uh, we dive into this, I just have one uh, quick announcement that I want to let you know about. Uh, in August, so just, what is that, maybe maybe 60 days or so from now, uh, Pastor Dan and Kim uh, will be launching their church. It's going to be called Shine in Castle Rock, Shine Church. And um, Dan, you know, Dan has walked with me for 19 years. Um, what, a, what a blessing that guy is to me and what he means to me as a friend. And it's an honor to help him um, step in now to what God has for him. And so the whole thing is about this. On July 7th and 8th, 21st and 22nd, at Castle Rock Campus, Dan's doing an informational meeting. And I'm so much behind him that I'm actually making an announcement for their church to my church to say this, that if you have a heart to help them, if you maybe are connected to Dan and Kim in some way, or it's, it's almost impossible not to if you've been here for any length of time, if you feel a drawing through the Holy Spirit or you feel a connection with them, then I want to tell you it's okay. I want to tell you that if you feel like God wants you to help them, then go do that. It's not a bad thing. It's not a negative thing. I know every time in most churches when something like this happens, people are like, you know, you hide it. You don't talk about it. People think, oh, it's terrible. It's not terrible. It's the way the kingdom multiplies and it's what we do at Jubilee. It will be our third church that we have launched in less than two years. And honestly, there's a fourth one that we're part of that I'll talk about uh, in the next few weeks too. Not directly connected to us, but something that we're doing that I'm really excited about that God's doing. Four churches in less than two years. Nice. Yeah. Thank you, John. And thank you, Kathleen. Everybody else is like, is it okay? It's Totally good, and I'm so excited for them. So just uh, hear that 7th and 8th, 21st, 22nd, after the service is over, informational meeting if you would like to uh, be a part of that. Um, you can't all go. Because <laughs> I don't have anything then if that happens. So, um, yeah, <laughs> just play. Uh, here, here's what we're doing. We're in a series called When God Seems, and then we'll use the next word as the subject. Uh, the idea here is that the operative word is seems. Uh, it can look to be a particular way and not really be that way. I'm sure in a relationship in your life at some point, you've had some interaction with a person where in your mind you made a judgment call about what they were doing, what they were thinking, what their intentions were, and then as time went by you realized you were wrong about what you thought. We all do that. It's human nature, and we can do that with God. So we're just talking about when God seems to be a particular way, uh, when God seems to be distant, when God seems to be silent. Today, we're going to talk about when God seems to be late. Anybody in this room ever experienced a feeling like God's being late with you? He's not on time, not paying attention. Like his calendar is different than yours. Is that a better way to say it? Maybe it is. In fact, I'll give away the end of the message I don't think uh, he's using Microsoft Calendar when it comes to like what we're doing. And so I think maybe this will, will help you to understand a little bit. But I thought I'd start with a, a story real quick on the idea 
of what late can do to us. When I was a kid, from the time I was in um, man, second grade till the 10th grade. So for all those years, I played football. And I loved it. It was something that was, um, I, I just found great joy in it. I love sports, but football in particular, I just love to play it. And uh, I have grown up in Denver from the time I was a kid for the most part of my life. And so I played, it was Pop Warner, midget football, uh, all through elementary and then into junior high and then on a high school football team. And I played till 10th grade. I broke my arm playing football in the 10th grade. And I realized, you know, I'm not as big as I think I am uh, out there. And um, I need to probably stop to, to save my life. But when I was young and playing the game, um, you know, nine or ten years old, there was a team all the way across town that were winning championship after championship. And I wanted to play on that team. So I talked my mom into letting me be a part of that team, and she had to go way out of her way to make that happen. It was a drive across Denver to get me there. And we practiced three days a week and then played a game on Saturday. Practices, as you know, football starts in the fall, goes into the wintertime. So the sun begins to go down sooner and sooner and sooner. It gets cooler and cooler and cooler. So practice was this. When we first started, my mom would come and watch all the practices, kind of make sure everything was okay. But after a couple of years, that routine gets to be old, and so she would drop me off at the practice and then go and do whatever she needed to do and then come back and pick me up after the practice. And that's generally how it worked. Today, uh, that seems to be like, you know, uh, more of a dangerous thing, but that was just the way that it was at that time, and it worked out just fine, except for one day. It was probably somewhere end of October, the 1st of November, towards the end of the season, um, dark at, you know, 5.30, I mean pitch, and uh, practice gets over, and parents are waiting, and I couldn't spot my mom's car, and one by one, my friend's jump in their parents' car, and they pull away, and pretty soon I'm the only one there by myself, and it gets dark. And I'll be honest with you, at 9 or 10, uh, panic set in. It's before cell phones. We used to have to chisel, put it on the back of a dinosaur, and send it across great distances in order to communicate with each other. There, so there was no cell phone. There was no um, you know, way to text. There was, there was none of that stuff. I was standing out there... Um, and got scared, a little kid, and began to cry. And looking around, what do you do? I looked uh, in the neighborhood that we were practicing at, and at the end of the street was a church. And they had the doors open. I could see the light coming out from the front. Now, I grew up a Catholic kid, was not familiar with any other kind of church, but I walked down to it, and it was a black gospel Baptist church. <laughs> and they were rocking on Wednesday night. So I got my football uniform on, imagine, my shoulder pads and my jersey and my pants and my cleats and I'm holding my helmet in my hand and I'm crying, big tough football player. <laughs> I don't know if it was one of their elders or their deacons, uh, for sure, somebody though that was, that was in the know and that was helping, uh, he was standing at the front door and he looked out and he saw me and I was hoping that somebody would see me. And he came out and he asked me what was wrong. <laughs> my mom has abandoned me. You know, that kind of a... <laughs> Thing And he said, come on in and you can make a phone call. So I call the house and I get a hold of my brother. And of course, my brother's big advice is quit crying. She'll be there in a minute. So, you know, toughen up, buttercup, and that, that, type, of, uh, that type of thing. And within, within just a couple of minutes, she was there and got delayed. 
Um, here's why I tell you that story. When you're all of a sudden waiting, and it becomes critical, these three things happen to you. Tell me if you haven't experienced it. Number one, when you're waiting, time gets distorted. What is probably no more than 15 or 20 minutes in that story felt like three or four hours. It really felt like two days. Time has a way when you're waiting that all of a sudden when time seems like it's moving fast at one point, it can slow down and each tick feels like it takes a minute. And each minute feels like it takes an hour and each hour feels like it takes days. And you're in that funny place where time gets distorted. The second thing that I think happens to us when we wait is that it creates stress. Yes or no? All of a sudden, man, you feel stress. Uh, You can feel it in a relationship. You can feel it in your finances. If you happen to operate a business or you put deals together or you sell real estate or maybe insurance or maybe you own a company and you're trying to operate, you know what it's like when timing gets off. When you need something to come through and something to work and it doesn't, all of a sudden it creates a stress, yes or no? And it's there. And last, this one maybe more than anything else is the one that we all really experience. It tests our ability to trust God. When we get in that place where timing is off. Think about that. It distorts time, creates stress, and it tests our trust. Uh, John chapter 11 is a really interesting story with Jesus and one of his friends. It's the story of Lazarus. If you don't know the story, it's 44 verses, John 11, 1 through 44. Now, as a pastor, I'm always tempted to have them take all 44 verses and put up the slides. You can't believe how incredibly long that is. And so my guys wrestle with me all week. Why don't you paraphrase the story, Pastor, and then use the key verses that you need? And I'm like, no, go ahead and put up 119 slides. It'll be okay. Everybody will be be all right with that. And they're like, you know, Pastor, you're a preacher and no one else is. So maybe think about it in this. So I am going to paraphrase the story for your sake. And then I'll use verses 3 through 7 for our text, and I'll show you those verses. But let me paraphrase the story. Uh, Lazarus had two sisters, Mary and Martha, and so it's three siblings, and Jesus was close to all three of them. The Bible even uses the word love. He loved them. He's very tight with them. Not best friends, because the only one that it ever claims is best friend is the disciple John, but John writes that about himself, the disciple whom Jesus loved the most. He's writing that about himself. That's a person with ego. So um, Lazarus and Mary and Martha are three friends of Jesus who he's very close with. He stayed at their house. They've traveled with him, and he knows them intimately. And the Bible uses in this story these two words. He loves them and he cares for them, and that's important. Because it's not casual, it's not happenstance, it's not just another person that's, hey, I need time, I need attention, I need something from you. These are people that Jesus loves intimately and cares deeply about. And the story goes that Lazarus gets sick. It doesn't define what the sickness is, but it's bad. And the sisters recognize immediately that it's life and death. And they send a message to Jesus because they traveled with him and have seen him do miracles. 
They've seen him heal the sick, open the eyes of the blind, open deaf ears, cast out the demonic. They're aware that he can walk on water. They know what he can do with changing water into wine and multiplying bread. They're aware of all the supernatural possibilities. It's not something that's distant to them or rumored to them. They've seen it firsthand, and they know all that needs to happen in our situation is for Jesus to show up here, and everything's going to be fine. So they send a message to him, and the message is this. The one that you love is sick. And then the Bible has this really... um, It's there for a purpose, but you could overlook it. It says, uh, Jesus remained where he was for a few days. Almost like um, it didn't bother him. Almost like it's not a big deal. Almost like, hey. But the reality is, Jesus knows something that nobody else knows. And so he tells the disciples, uh, hey, Lazarus is sick and He actually, once he dies, Jesus uses the the metaphor sleep. Lazarus is asleep. And the disciples say to him, oh, good thing he's sleeping, because if you're sick, that's how you get better. And Jesus goes, you're slow, he's dead. But this is not going to end in death. It's for the glory of God. And so off they go to where Lazarus lives. If you know the story, they come across a post-funeral. Lazarus has been dead for three days. They're still mourning. He's actually in a tomb similar to the tomb that Jesus was laid in. It's carved out of rock with a big stone in front of it. They allow the corpse to decompose in that, and they reuse the tomb over and over and over again. Uh, In this situation, he's put in there. It's been sealed, and you're not allowed to, by Jewish custom, to touch a dead body. So this is sort of, a, in context, a weird story. Jesus says when he gets there, where is he? They said he's in the tomb, and they actually use this word. You don't want to go in there because he stinks. That's not me, that's the Bible. Jesus, undeterred by anything they said, walks up, asks them to roll back the stone, and if you know the story, the miraculous happens. Jesus calls into the tomb, Lazarus, come forth. The Bible records these words, that Lazarus bound up in the grave clothes that they wrapped him, similar to what a mummy would have looked like, comes out in the grave clothes. And then Jesus makes this statement, loose that man and let him go. I think it's a great metaphor for what we're supposed to do with people in this world who are trapped in death. Help them to get free through Jesus and let them go. It's a powerful teaching. It's a powerful truth. But if you look deeper into that story and you ask yourself, man, what is going on here? Jesus could have come before the family was grieving, before they went through this process, before Lazarus died. He could have shown up and with one word, one look, he could have changed the whole thing. He could have interrupted time. He could have stopped what was happening. He could have have genuinely uh, stopped all of the pain that these people were going through. And yet there was a bigger issue that Jesus knew about and a greater miracle that God wanted to do and something that was far more powerful than the few minutes of torment that they went through. Now they have a lifetime of something awesome that God has done on their behalf. If you just look at that story and ask yourself the question on God's timing, you'd have to admit that their timing versus God's timing were two different things. Their way was just simply this. We don't want to go through anything difficult, so show up now. 
And God's answer to that is, it will be a little bit difficult, but the end result is going to be greater than you can possibly imagine. Trust me. And therein lies all the battle that we have. Trust. Is he really going to show up? Is he really going to do what he said he's going to do? Is he really going to stay faithful? Is he really going to keep his promise? Does he really care? If you've got a pen or a pencil, I'm going to use these verses then to teach you a little bit about timing. Maybe help you understand if you're in a situation right now where timing is critical, especially if you feel like, man, pastor, it, it's, I, I can see the collision, or I'm experiencing the collision, or it's hurting, I'm desperate, I don't know what to do. If you are the person who is like, yes, time is being distorted, yes, there's stress, and yes, ultimately, it's testing my ability to trust. Okay, let me, let me help you. So these five things, real quick, I'll do them fast, and then I'll spend time, we'll do ministry today that I think will be beneficial during communion. Here's the first one. Pressure prayer equals giving God a deadline. Whenever you give God a deadline, you're creating a bad situation. Because when you give him a deadline, what you're actually saying to him is, hey God, I don't trust you. I trust what I see, what I know, what I feel, what I think, and what I need you to do, God, is come over here to where I'm at. And God's saying, no, here's what we're going to do. You need to come over here where I'm at. Why does it work that way? Here's why. Because you're created and he's the creator. You're finite, he's infinite. You're limited, he's not. You have a beginning and an end, he never did. He sees things not only from before you were born, but he sees it all the way into eternity. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's not careless. He's not fraudulent. He is not absent. He knows exactly the number of hair on your head. He knows who you are, why you are, what you are, and he cares deeply about you. And everything that he's doing is not a carrot and a stick, a trick, an absent father, a cold-hearted creator. And he loves you intimately, he knows what's going on in your life, and he knows exactly what he's doing. And that's difficult in a time of trust to remember. Their deadline prayer went like this. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, look at the twist in their words. Lord, your dear friend is, what's the word right there? Man, very describes urgency, yes or no. So like, Jesus, we need you to show up, and we need you to show up now, because if you don't show up, this is not going to go right, this is not good. And in their minds, they haven't figured out how it's going to work. God just simply doesn't answer their prayer the way that they want it answered. He answers their prayer, but not the way they want it. Let me say this. Think about this right here. Anybody in this room live long enough to realize you're grateful that God hasn't said yes to every prayer you've prayed? Do you get what I mean by that? So, look, I realize this is not the the most compelling uh, illustration I could ever use, but for me... It was, it was everything. You know, before I met Chris, there, there was a girl that I was head over heels about. And we were not copacetic. How, is that the yeah. good word? Yeah. So like, what does that mean? Not good. Not good. But I felt. I experienced emotions. I thought I loved her. I felt like she was the one... And I can remember praying, oh, God, please, God, skip, give me this one. This is, oh, God, this is the, 
this is my heart's desire. Man, that girl, she ran around on me, treated me terrible. I was like a puppy. <laughs> Praying, God, please, please, please. And God loved me enough to say, no. You don't, if I do this, it's going to screw your future up so bad. So bad. It's not worth mentioning names. You wouldn't know her. But I know how the story turned out. Oh my gosh, I'm so grateful that God did not say yes to me. Because shortly after that, I met a woman. And it's worked great for 35 years. She's my best friend and she loves me so much and I love her so much and every time I think about oh god you knew exactly I didn't know who she was I didn't know where she was I had no idea all I knew was what I was feeling and I was letting that rule all my prayers my my thoughts my direction and god knew this will be bad and I've got something for you so good can you trust me man on the other side of it it seemed so easy. But at that time, I was so heartbroken. So devastated. So thinking that God is trying to... He never lets it work out for me. I'm the only one that's ever prayed that, right? Pressure prayers when you put a deadline on it. God, this has to happen now. God, this is very important. God, this is crucial. God, if this doesn't happen by the 24th, We leave deadlines that create our own dilemmas. The real issue is, hey, I'll say it one more time at the end, but think about this. One way or the other, when you have to wait, you have to wait. And you can wait poorly, or you can wait goodly. Like that word? (laughs) One way or the other, you're going to wait. When you come to the other side of it, here, listen, real quick. Even if you're unfaithful, God remains faithful because he will not deny himself. Just listen to this. But when you get to the other side of the events, you're going to look back on it, and you're either going to feel good about what you did, or you're going to feel bad about what you did. You're going to realize you're growing, or you're going to realize you need to grow. And you get to decide right now how you want that to go. And at what level do we begin to grow up and just say, hey, I trust you. I call you, Lord. Therefore, I will trust you like Lord. Sometimes we like think there's a throne in our lives that has two seats on it. God can sit here, but I want to sit right next to him and help him make right decisions about where we're going and what we're, what we're doing. So pressure prayer always equals a deadline, and a deadline with God is not the way to go. Deadlines are not faith. Deadlines are not inspired. Deadline is the pressure that you feel. It's the decision that you... I'm not saying they're not legitimate. I'm just saying ultimately, man, a deadline is not what you present to God. You present faith to God. God, here's what I think, here's what I believe, and it seems good to me, but I trust you, your will be done. So that's real easy to stand up here and say it, and really hard when you're in the middle of it. I'll give you the second one real quick. Um, it's all about what God knows. Not what you know, 
Because that's what we lean on most of the time. Proverbs chapter 3, 4 and 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your own... Under, the word's understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your own... In all your ways acknowledge him and he will then direct your path. The key issue in that is trusting God with all of your heart and not trusting in your intellect. You may be smart, you may be educated, you may be successful, but the bottom line is you are not God. God is God. And I'm not trying to be tough about it. I'm not trying to be cavalier about it. I go through this too. I work with this same thing, but it's what God knows, not what you know. Case in point, we started this church. I felt the Lord supernaturally speak to me, leave where you are, go to Denver. I want you to do it. I was so excited. Listening to God is not my problem. But it's once it starts, I'm like, hey, thanks for the information. Step back. Watch what I can do now, God. <laughs> Anybody else got that kind of? So I'm like, God, just watch this. You are going to be so impressed by what I can do. So I get the call to start the church. Obedience is not the issue. I'll do it. But then here's where my mind kicked in, and this is legitimate. Listen to this. I just go, God, it's going to cost money, and I don't have the money. So, God, I'm going to sit down and strategize and figure out what it costs to do this. So I put together a game plan. I put together a business plan. I put together what the cost, and they're all legitimate. We need equipment. We need a place. We need insurance. Yes or no? I was, the, the light bill. You cannot write on it. The Lord has need of this. And send it back. They don't care. There may be believers at, at Excel, but they, I, they're hiding somewhere in the mix. So you, you cannot claim, you know, hey, God wants me to do it. They just want the money. And if you don't pay, there's no lights. There's no air. There's, there's no microphones. It's nothing. So it's legit. It's completely legit. God, you called me to do it. So we need this. And this is where my intellect takes over. So I came up, listen just real quick, $100,000, which is a lot of money. But if you were to start a church, you'd realize how quickly you could spend $100,000. Sure. Sound equipment is tens of thousands of dollars. Rent is tens of thousands. Of, I, you can go through a burn rate a hundred thousand, literally, it's a lot of money, but you can't believe how quickly you could spend it. And I'm actually doing it, I think, I cut all the fat out of it. So I'm like, I present this to the Lord. Look at this sacrifice. Give me a hundred thousand, and I'll go do this. And it sounds like this. No, not that. <clears throat> Although he might have been laughing, but not, you know. Listen. That's what it sounded like when I prayed. And I told God, there's a deadline. If I don't have the money by here, I can't go. Like a subtle threat. Anybody? I don't hear anything. So I'm a man of faith. I cut it in half. All right. God, I get it. Trusting in money, 50000 Give me $50,000, and I'll go do it. We're going to have to scramble. We'll have to let go of a few things, but I'll do it for 50 and it sounded just like this. So I cut it in half again, 25. We'll just go without signs, and uh, 
maybe we can only get started for a month, but you can do anything. I know that. You'll come through. Give me 25 and I'll go. Cut it in half again. 12, 5. Actually, I said 10. Just give me, give me something. And it sounded like this. And finally, in that place, now you can imagine the distortion of time because I had quit my job. And the stress, because I got five kids and a wife who are all trusting I've heard from God. And now just the whole trust issue, like, do I really hear from God? I mean, you know the devil loves to live right at the edge of that place, right? And cause you to question everything at that moment. It's like right now, he couldn't get me because I'm standing up here looking at it. But at the time, I couldn't see a thing. So he, here was his lie to me. You didn't really hear from God. And you've acted impetuously. And this isn't faith, it's presumption. And you've blown it. Go back and see if you can get your old job back. It was a desperate situation. And finally, in the middle of that thing, rather than shrinking back, rather than giving up, rather than walking away or giving in, I just did this. I said, okay, I don't know how, but you called me to do it, and obviously you know what I don't know. So I'm moving forward with you. And if it doesn't work out, then maybe it was a test. (laughs) If it does work out, I'll stand up and tell everybody, look what God did. But either way, I'm going to move with you. I'm not going to stay in my own head. Now, I'm a little hesitant to say this because it's going to sound... I don't want it to be about a person, a group of people, make you think I'm something I'm not. I'll admit right up front, I could never do this. That's what makes this miraculous. At the end of 2017, when we do our annual report... The assets of the church are over $8 million. $8 million. I'm not saying I did that. I'm not saying you did that. I'm not saying we had anything to do with it. Here's what I'm saying. From zero to God doing miraculous things was all in the ability to trust and keep walking and not lean into my own understanding. My own understanding would have put me back in my old job. And not doing the thing that God called me to do. Here's the third one, and I I just got to speed up here. I'm sorry. It's all about God's glory. Ultimately, everything that God's trying to do (laughs) is for your good and his glory. Look at this scripture real quick. Um, This is part of the story. Uh, uh, So Jesus, when he's talking to the disciples about the fact that Lazarus has died, says this to them. No, his death happened, read this, for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. Real quickly, everything that God is doing is for your good and his glory. And that doesn't make him an egomaniac. God doesn't think that way. He's not that way. But everything is about how good God is and the fact that he is God. He'll let us have everything else in the situation. You can have the money from it. You can have the, the prestige from it. You can have the success from it. But the one thing you're never allowed to touch is the glory because the glory belongs to God. And when men and women begin to steal God's glory, it's amazing how God pulls back from the thing that he's doing. Always give God the glory in it. 
So when I make the statement about the $8 million, I would never say, look how smart I am, look how fast I am, look what a short guy can do given enough running room. I would never say any of those things. Here's what I would say. God is brilliant. God is faithful. God will never leave you. God will never forsake you. God can do what man can't do. When there seems to be no way, God can make a way. That's what I would say, to give him glory. Does that make any sense? So it's a little out there, I realize, but men, when you're going through it, we never think about what God's trying to do. Maybe he's waiting because he wants to do something that shows how awesome he is. And if he did it your way, maybe it's just too normal. Maybe it's too unsupernatural. Here's the fourth one. It's all about God's love. And this, of all the things I would teach you, might be the most significant, important thing for you to grasp. Verse 5 and 6 in that story. So although Jesus loved, look at the word, loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Jesus loved them. The Bible, why does it even point this out? Because the significance of the relationship is key in understanding. Even though he loved them, he did not move on their time schedule. And when you find yourself in that situation where you are waiting and you feel like you're languishing and God's not answering and God's not moving, it is not because God has left you. It is not because God doesn't care. God loves you. You can trust his love. You can trust his love. Here's the fifth one. It's all about God's timing. His timing. His timing may not, probably not, be your timing. Verse 7 just reads this way right here. Finally, like after a long time, after everyone figured God's not going to do something, finally, Jesus said to his disciples, hey, let's go back to Judea and see Lazarus. God's timing is perfect. God's timing is always correct. God's timing is always right. The best thing that you can learn to do is to cooperate with God's timing in your life. God moves in seasons, and he has a calendar. Listen to this. The Gospels record this really interesting scripture. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. In other words, on God's calendar from way before the creation, God had marked a day where on this day, I'm sending Jesus for the world. When the fullness of time had come, Now listen to this. In your life, he has a calendar too. He knows what you need. He knows when you need it. And he knows what he's doing. He's marked it. And when the fullness of time comes, God will move. But he won't move before that. He won't move an hour earlier or a minute later. He knows timing perfectly. Think of this. When the fullness of time Had happened, God sent forth his son. Here's what the Bible also says. When the fullness of time takes place, he will release the son to come get the bride. Jesus doesn't even know what day that is. Only the father, the Bible says. He's got it marked in a big red X on his calendar. And when that day and that time comes, no demon in hell can stop it. No force on the earth will alter it. And nothing around you will change it. When God says now, it will be now. And so many times we pray this prayer. God, bless me, bless me, bless me. Do this. Find out what God is blessing and participate in that and you'll be blessed. And when it comes to timing, 
Rather than trying to talk God into your timing, get into his timing. Trust him. And you'll be blessed. Does that make any sense? It's easy to sit up here and teach. It's easy to say, but when you're going through it, it's a difficult thing. 2 Peter 3.9. Maybe, maybe my favorite verse when it comes to the idea of timing is, is this verse right here. And it just shows the difference between how God thinks and how we think, how God sees something and how we, we perceive something, and that they can be two separate things. The Lord isn't really being, what's that word right there? It has to do with timing, yes or no? So the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to be able to repent. If you're like, God, you need to come right now. You need to show up. Sometimes we don't consider how it would affect somebody else. We're really good about thinking of our situation, but never how it plays out in the scheme of everything else. And God sees it all. God knows it all. God loves you, but he loves other people too. I know, that's like, what? (laughs) Jesus died. Western Christianity has turned the gospel into be everything Jesus does, he does for me. Much of the songs that we sing, the prayers that we pray, The way that we see the gospel is me-centered. Can you handle that? So I'm not being ugly, I'm just saying. And the gospel is not about God loves you, Jesus died for you, but he also died for all of mankind. And it's not just your happiness that plays into the equation. I know that sounds a little tough, but that, man, that's... If you get the right picture and the right thought about this, it helps you to know how to pray. It helps you to wait. It helps you to trust. All right, let's, let's just let's do this here. Um, it's communion day today. And communion, it's so easy for institutions in church to become just that, institutions. We do them because we're supposed to do them. It's, it's the weekend for communion. It's, it's the time for us, and we can go through the motions without experiencing the meaning and the reality behind them. Here's the meaning of communion. In between Jesus coming to the earth and his return to get you, we take communion to remind ourselves of God's timing. That he hasn't forgotten about us. That he's not absent. That he hasn't turned his back. That he's not on the other side of the galaxy messing with things hoping that you'll be okay in the meantime. He is active, alive, present. Communion is to remind us. Do this in remembrance of me. Remind yourself that I'm your Lord. I'm your Savior. I love you and I care for you. So that when we take communion, there's this meaningful interaction that should happen that reminds us, God, you're God. We're your people. The Bible uses the word, he's the bridegroom. The church is the bride. We're waiting for him to come back and to take us. I realize that puts it in a little bit of a, maybe a a thought process. You're like, "I, I don't see myself that way. Can you see yourself this way? That God does love you and he cares for you and his timing in your life is perfect. And when we take communion, we're reminding ourselves, God cares about me. He cares about my situation. He's intimately acquainted with me. 
And it would be a shame for you to go through the motions of communion, to take the bread and to drink the wine and to walk out of here without the knowledge and the experience that God is intimately involved in my life. And I can say it, but I don't know how to get that to happen. There's something in your heart that needs to come forth right now and go, God, okay, maybe you're going through that pit of waiting right now and it's having its way with you. Could this be a renewal right now of God, I trust you and God, I believe in you and God, I give myself fully to you. Maybe you're at that place where you're just so frustrated. You're not even hearing what I'm saying. But could the Holy Spirit maybe right now, if you allowed God an opportunity to come into your heart, could this be a breakthrough moment? Could this be your day? We're in the fullness of time this day. Is today the 23rd? Is today the 20, 24th? 20, 24th. You guys messed up my illustration. This Sunday the 24th at... 9.57. Could this be your moment? Could this be the time that God shows up strong in your life? Could this be the time where he heals a relationship? He calms your heart? Calls you forth? I mean, could this be your moment? I think if you opened your heart and said to God, here I am and I'm going to trust you, God, this message is to allow a supernatural God to reestablish his timing in your life. God, I trust you. God, I believe in you, regardless of the waiting. God, I trust you right now. Help me. And if that's where you are, then when we take communion, let it be that meaning in your heart. So, Father, this is where, Lord, I want so much for something to happen for people, and yet... Um, God, I, a human can't do this. Uh, even, even those that are listening right now and feel, I want to respond to this, the truth of the matter is, you, in your own power, what you need to say is, God, help me. God, let your grace operate in my life. God, help me to trust. Help me to believe. Help me to just give myself to you right now. Direct me. I think the action that we'll take today is not to respond while I'm praying. It's not to lift your hand to say yes or no to me. That's, that's not what this is about. This is when we go to take communion, can in a moment of time you open yourself up to God and just say, God, I'm going to let you be God. I want to trust you. I want you to be the Lord. Maybe you even need to say, God, I'm sick of trying to be the Lord of my life. I need your help. And apply whatever it is that you're dealing with. Health. Emotions finances maybe I put my finger on it when I said business and maybe I didn't even come close to it with what you're dealing with 
but can you believe that God knows everything that's going on and that he cares and that this whole thing is designed right now for you to have an opportunity to let God be God in your life. Maybe you've been praying over and over, God, I wish you'd speak about this. God, I wish you'd show up. God, I wish you... Could this be your answer? Could you see this as God answering your prayer right now? The answer is not for God to do what you want him to do. The answer is for you to put yourself in God's hands. To believe that he's good. To believe that he's faithful. To believe that he's going to hear you right now. So I just will encourage you and commend you that into communion right now, let it be that. God, I trust you. God, I remind myself that you know exactly what you're doing. And I believe in you. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. We'll give you some instruction for communion.